0: Our scripture today comes to us from the Gospel of John, the first chapter, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he comes after me, ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law, indeed, was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as scripture is read, as word is proclaimed, help us hear with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. We are in the midst of a Lenten worship series entitled, What Makes a Hero? The Death-Defying Ministry of Jesus Christ, and it's a sermon series based on the Bible study written by Reverend Matt Raw. and we continue that today. Next Sunday, we're going to take a one-week break from this series, and we're going to explore what makes... Jesus, a king, a different king than all the rest of the kings. And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to conclude this Lenten series with life versus death and resurrection. But today, we continue our series and look at old versus new, and then there's covenant. For our opening hymn today, we sing one of my favorites of all time. I think I say that for a lot of the old hymns, don't I not? They're all my favorites of all time. But the one, we grew up, the one that we sang for the opening hymn this morning was, was one that I grew up singing a lot. And, and perhaps, you know, you did the same. The Solid Rock is something is a song close to my heart. And, you know, we sang it just like we've always sung it, the way it's written in the hymnal, the way that we always grew up hearing it. And perhaps it's the only way that you know that this song exists. But there actually is another version of this song that you may have never heard. It's actually been around for a little while now, but you may not be familiar familiar with it. However, it's one of the most powerful worship songs of all time. And it even goes by a different name. The song is by Hillsong, and it's called Cornerstone. Perhaps if you've never heard it before, I encourage you then, when you leave here, look up Cornerstone by Hillsong when you leave and hear the rest of the song, because it just grows into a powerful, powerful worship experience. But except for the melody of the song at the end, would you have thought that you were just listening to a musical -er version of the original hymn. It sounded just like it. What I love about this song, and there's other songs out there that do this, this was just the the best example for today. What I love about the song is that it preserves certain elements of the tradition, but it incorporates something new. The melody, the refrain, it adds something different to the original song that, in my opinion, fully enhances the worship experience to this song. And they did it very well. All this to say, successful change means listening to years of wisdom while capturing the passion of new ideas. It is possible to incorporate elements of the sacred while also incorporating the ideas that move us forward. Now, if I were just to play the melody of that song, the part that starts out with Cornerstone, without the rest of the song, if you weren't familiar, if you didn't know it, it existed before, would you have known or had any clue that the song was based off of a traditional hymn? Probably not, right? It would sound like two different, unrelated songs. Similarly, to this, without journeying through all of God's story in Scripture, Jesus by himself makes little sense. Jesus isn't so much an innovator as one who remembers God's story and fulfills it. Are you with me? Say amen. Amen. John's gospel, therefore, begins with one of the most inspiring passages in all of scripture, the prologue. In verse... In these 18 verses, the premise of the entire gospel is established and laid out. And the premise of the entire gospel is Jesus embodies God's word. Jesus embodies God's word. It begins with the same phrase that exactly one other verse of scripture begins with. In the beginning. What else starts with in the beginning? Genesis. Genesis. Genesis 1, 1, the very beginning of our canonical scripture. But it's not the phrase that catches our attention or draws us in here. It was John's, uh, it was John, uh, it's what John says, excuse me, that was in the beginning. So it's not the phrase, but it's what John says was in the beginning. The word. In the beginning was the Word. Never has so much power rested in one simple word. Pun intended. This word that John speaks of here is the Greek word logos or logos. Have you heard that word before? I think I preached something similar to this right after I got here. But the Greek word for word is logos. It is the root from where we get all of our word, it's Greek from where we get the words logic or logical, and it is also the root from where all of the words that end in ology come from. They all have their foundations in the Greek logos. In this Greek word, It means so much more than than just the surface meaning. Logos conveys knowledge. It conveys wisdom. It conveys reason. It conveys enlightenment, which is another word for revelation. The Stoics at the time spoke of Logos as the mind and the purpose of God, and the mind and the purpose of God that permeates all of creation. When John speaks of mind, uh, speaks of, of word here, John is talking about the mind and the heart of God, the very being of God. In Genesis, God spoke creation into existence. Let there be light, was one of his words. In God's speech, the word is the heart, character, will, and the creative mind of the creator. It was the logic that created the cosmos, and it was God's logic or God's word that set the universe in motion. It is also by this logic that we, according to Luke in Acts chapter 17, that we, quote, live, move, and exist. We are here because of the Word of God. We move, we exist, we do everything because of the Word of God. The Word is God's heart. The word is God's reasoning. The word is God's mind. It's God's purposes. It's God's character. It's God's creative power. And it's also God's desire to reveal God's self to us. There's a lot tied up into this definition of word that we hear John use here. The premise of all scripture is that the God who created the universe, the God that's bigger than time and space itself, that God wants to be known by human beings. That God wants us to know who God is. In other words... As John begins his gospel on the life of Jesus, he is telling us that God's heart, his mind, his reason, his logic, and desire to reveal himself to the human race have been wrapped up in human flesh and have come to live amongst us as a person in the body of Jesus Christ. We call this the incarnation, that God would come and dwell among us. The very mind that ordered and created the universe would take on flesh, would speak to humanity, and do it through Jesus Christ. Let that just blow your mind for a minute. (laughs) That the God who created all that ever was and ever will be Wants to know me. How marvelous is that? How wonderful is that? We speak of this idea of the word becoming flesh. As the incarnation as I said before. From this debate has sparked throughout history. About the idea of the Trinity. Are you familiar with that term? The Trinity that we know of as God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. It's not three different gods. It's one God In three different roles. God the Father as Creator, God the Son as Redeemer, God the Holy Spirit as Sanctifier. The three roles of God. However, John in the prologue isn't concerned about theological complexities or debates. John is concerned that you and I know that Jesus embodies The Word of God. The Word of God comes to us completely and most clearly, most compellingly, not in a book, but in a person. Jesus. Jesus. Thus, everything that John will say about Jesus points to who God is and to what God is like. John is setting the stage not only for his gospel, but for the rest of the story of the gospel, the good news for the rest of eternity. When when, when we pray to God, we don't know what God looks like, do we? When we pray, we picture Jesus Christ. When we pray, we picture Jesus. We abide in God by abiding in, In Jesus. The invisible God is made visible through Jesus. For many generations before Jesus was born, people believed in God. They believed in God. Prophets and the lawgivers and preachers tried to describe God based upon their experiences of God and through their own logic and through what they had seen. But then in Jesus, God stepped into our world quite literally. His birth, his life, his teachings, his miracles, his death, and ultimately his resurrection answered the question who is God? And what's God's purpose? What does God expect out of me? Jesus answered this. Or excuse me, God through Jesus answered this. This earth-shaking idea expressed so beautifully and uniquely in John is why Jesus is so central to our faith as Christians. It is because we need God to love us. We need God to teach us. We need God to show us the way. We cannot do this thing called life on our own, no matter how often we want to try and expect to find the solution to sin and death, can we? We need God. And through Jesus Christ, God shows up for us. And you know what? Jesus may have ascended into heaven already, but through the Holy Spirit, God continues to show up for us each and every moment of our lives. I think that deserves an amen. amen. This word of God that John speaks of, this isn't something new, okay? This isn't the first time we hear about it. It's the first time we hear about it in this way, but this idea... This is not new. It was here all along. What we see in Jesus is a picture of who God is and who God always was and who God always will be. God's plan with Jesus wasn't new. It was simply a new way to fulfill it. Listen to the passage out of Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 37. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 37. And no one puts new wine into old wineskin. Otherwise the new wine will burst the skins and will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine desires new wine, but says... The old is good. Okay, how many of you thought you were going to come to church to learn a lesson on distillery today? <laughs> in biblical times, people would store wine in goatskins skins that were sewn on the edges to form watertight bags, and they called these wineskins. New wine expands as it ferments. Thus, new wine must be put into new wineskins. <laughs> old skins would become brittle. They wouldn't stretch any more than where they stretched before. So if, if you put new wine into old wineskins, you risk bursting or spilling the new wine. Are you with me? Say amen. The Christian church has never been designed to be an adaptation or a sect or an extension of Judaism. Okay? That was never the intention. Instead, Christ fulfills the intent of the Old Testament. The law of the Old Testament, the law of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and beyond, the words of the prophets, the Psalms, the Proverbs... The law reveals the nature and the will of God. Jesus Christ also reveals the nature and the will of God. But the law could only point to sin and condemnation of sin. The law stopped there. Jesus Christ comes along... And gives his life to bring forgiveness of sin and salvation. So Jesus doesn't replace the law. As he says himself in scripture. I have come not to replace the law but to fulfill it. This passage speaks of Jesus' entire mission. And the new era that he inaugurates by his entrance into human history. Didn't know you could get that much out of a passage on wine and wineskins, could you? (laughs) The new wine that Jesus is describing here was the newness of the gospel as exemplified in the person of Jesus Christ. The new wine is Jesus. Like old wineskins, I love this part, The old wineskins are the Pharisees. And indeed, the entire system of religion, of Judaism, at the time, that had become too rigid to accept Jesus. And Jesus could not be contained in their set of traditions and their set of rules. Therefore... The new wine, Jesus, could not be placed into the old system because the old system was not designed to contain Jesus. The old system could not handle the message, the life of Jesus. Their understanding of faithfulness to the law had become unsuitable for the fresh, dynamic power of the message of Jesus in the gospel. From their point of view, though, Jesus appeared to be a what? A rule breaker, a rebel, a haphazard rule breaker at that. When in actuality, his healings, his teachings, his miracles, his mission, and especially his suffering were the fulfillment of God's story. Bridging creation with resurrection. Again, Jesus fulfills the law. The wine Jesus talks about is a picture of God's new creation in Christ. Luke, who spoke of, uh, who who wrote, uh, back up. Luke wrote his gospel specifically to the Gentiles. Luke wrote his gospel specifically for Gentile readers, those outside of the Jewish, Jewish faith, okay? So the the desired audience for Luke was Gentiles. And he emphasized in his entire gospel that being a follower of Christ is a new way of living. It's a new way of living. In fact, Luke is the only gospel in which Jesus, at the last supper with his disciples, says that the cup is my blood of the new covenant. Of course, we finish that with poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Because Luke is written to outsiders, they were new to God's covenant of grace and mercy and love. In other words, it's not that God's plan It's not that the covenant was new. Rather, Luke's community was newly welcomed. It's not that the idea of what God wanted to fulfill was new. Before, the law only contained it to Jews. With Christ, Luke is saying, you are now... All welcomed into this life, into this way of being. And for you over here who knew the old ways, and for you over here who never knew the old ways, so it's brand new to you too. But for all people, it is a new way of living. It is a new covenant. I love the word covenant. You know what covenant means? You've probably heard this word used throughout Scripture. We have covenants from Genesis all the way to the end. The word covenant is another word to say a promise. But the difference, and I use this at weddings, the difference between an agreement such as a covenant versus an agreement such as a contract is a contract has a certain beginning and end date with certain uh, uh, terms that must be fulfilled in order for the end to come, correct? A covenant has a certain beginning date And it has terms, but guess what? A covenant lasts for perpetuity. It lasts forever. Not even God and God's self will end the covenant that God set with humanity. Therefore, Christ was in the beginning with God in the mind of God, older than time itself. But the covenant established on the cross and in the empty tomb offers us a new life rooted not in rules and regulations of the law, but in mercy and forgiveness and grace and love. This was the mission of Jesus Christ. There was the new way. There was, excuse me, there was the old way. There was the new way. And now there is the covenant way that fulfills them both. And it was fulfilled through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel message, folks. The the Old Testament, it tells the story of the lead up to the greatest gift that we have ever been given. The Old Testament is part of the story. It matters. It is part of Scripture. It can be trusted. The old matters. The new matters. Because this is how we are forgiven of our sins. We no longer have to make the sacrifices that they did back in the Old Testament because of Jesus Christ. So the old matters. It's part of the story, right? But the New Testament fulfills the story of the old. It brings them together as one story. Old and new and together they form the covenant that was established by Jesus Christ when He went to that cross and died for you and for me. That was the purpose of the whole story. That is the gospel. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.